That's right. Early bird catches the worm, y'all. All right, welcome to the third Permaculture Pimp Cast with William and Billy. He's William. I'm Billy. I'm William. That's right. That's right. He's William. I'm Billy. And guess what? This is the kind of permaculture sort of podcast where we take a pragmatic approach to permaculture. No pie in the high, pie in the sky kind of stuff. Sorry, y'all. It's been a long day. And uh, it's been really, really long. How you doing, son? I'm I'm worn out. Yeah. I just got beat up for an hour and a half at jiu-jitsu practice. <laughs> yeah. So he decided to go ahead and take up jiu-jitsu again after all these years of not doing it. We used to both go back in the day, back when we lived near the Kansas City area. Now, yeah, now he's a little rough and a little bit cranky, y'all. So I'm yeah, going to my be... whole body hurts. I have muscles hurting that I forgot about. Yeah, of course we all do. Well, don't forget, y'all, this is the Permaculture Pimp Casting Guest. Pimp means exactly what you think it does. Permaculture is my passion. What else would it mean? All right, y'all. This is going to be a good show today. We're going to get into, we're going to actually have two, we're going to have kind of two main topics. First one is going to be about education in the farm realm, not just permaculture, but all things education. And believe it or not, it's going to be, it's kind of important. It's actually very important. But before we get into that, uh, we got a tip of the day and it is relevant. A big tip. Everybody, please take note. Do your earthworks first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm saying that because, uh, one of the first projects we ever did, it was a, uh, it was a doctor back in Texas and, uh, the guy had more degrees than a thermometer, but didn't have a whole lot of common sense. And there wasn't any explaining to the guy that, Hey, um, let's think this thing out. Let's plan it out. Let's do everything the way it ought to be done. And then he was like, no, I'm just going to go ahead and plant this orchard. And then he did. And then being Texas, East Texas. So what happens? A drought every single time. So instead of, well, I mean, good night, dragging hoses around that place was a nightmare. So all of a sudden. When they weren't getting ran over by tractors. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. That was, he put the brush hog on and, I mean, dragged the hose right off of the. (laughs) Right off the spigot. (laughs) Yeah. It was a nut. It was, it was a nuts. It was a nuts situation. Believe me. Um, But finally, after it was all said and done, he's like, well, I want to put in swales now. I'm like, "Uh, yeah, there's a way to fix this. And it's a swale. It's kind of a swale after the fact where you make something of a V cut on the downhill side of your tree or whatever it is you want. And basically you're okay. So in that swale, you got a mound and you got a ditch. So basically doing that, doing it that way, your tree is going to wind up in a ditch. So if you have too much rain, there is a danger of your trees having wet feet and that's never a good thing. So moral of the day, tip of the day, do your earthworks first. Can I get an amen, son? Amen. That's right. Also, he had bigger issues as well. He had a rootstock orchard instead of a fruit orchard. Oh, my goodness. Okay, while we're on that, I guess we might as well go ahead and cover that. So, Tip number two. Yeah, tip number two. Well, I didn't expect this one, but check this out. Okay, so this guy, like I said, had more degrees than a thermometer, but not a whole lot of common sense. He would get out there. This is no joke. Okay, so you have the rootstock. And then you have the scion growing on the top side of it. Okay, so it's sprouting because he wouldn't listen. And he insisted on planting these trees using an auger, and which is something you really don't want to do when you're planting these kinds of trees. Now, you can get away with some of your, you know, some of your trees that may potentially be weeds or trees that do exceptionally well no matter what. Now, you can get away with that. But when you have your fruit trees, these are trees you can't afford to lose. But so anyway, he went out there with a um, auger, and so now all of the um, 
the graft unions were below ground, which means you're going to have a nightmare of a tree, meaning that now it's going to sprout, it's going to sprout all over the rootstock, and the scion will still grow depending on the conditions, but the rootstock is going to be what's getting all the energy. So anyway, this guy, we go out there and I tell him, hey, man, it's growing off the rootstock. Is this what you think you want? I mean, we really ought to prune that. Oh, no, 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 no. And what, what was he going to do? He was going to air layer that. Yeah, air layer the the rootstock. The rootstock. And I'm like, dude, it's rootstock. It ain't, it, this ain't what you want. But this guy knew everything. I mean, it was it was a crazy, crazy case. I mean, it was, it's not a situation I ever want to get into. So anyway, do those things on the front end. And this is why, this is part of the reason I want to talk about vacation. But we get into that. We'll get into that here. Education. In, yeah, what did I say? Vacation. Oh, is that what I'm implying? I guess <laughs> I guess it's a subliminal. I guess we kind of had a de facto vacation yesterday. So we did something we never do. We actually, all of us left the farm and we went whitewater rafting down the uh, French Broad River. So um, it's been hot as the blazes in the lower country. But sure enough, I mean, it was as cold as all get out yesterday on that river. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And then even today, it really wasn't that hot. It was a, uh, there was very low humidity. Um, I was in a sweatshirt at one point. Well, not well, not me. That's not how I roll. But all right, so we we covered some of that. So some of the happenings around here, y'all had a little bit of rest. Um, not much. I mean, it was. Man, I'm really feeling wore out. I think everybody is, notwithstanding William doing the jujitsu and stuff like that. Yeah. So we got compost down there. We're using to amend. That's you've probably seen that video on YouTube. If you if well, I imagine most of the people listening right now are also YouTube subscribers. So we're working on getting some of that compost, that 18-day compost that we made a while, a little while back, and we're going to start amending some of those beds that we had some of that bag soil in. So that's something we're getting done. Um, another little project we got in the queue is we got to get these sides on the greenhouse uh, rolled up. We got to get that set up. That's another little project. We got to get those chickens integrated. We got those uh, billfelders, and we're going to use them to replace some of the laying flock that we have. So we'll get rid of some of those older birds. And there's a rooster in there that's got to gizzo. Yeah. What's his name? Persimmon Phil? Yeah. Pers- yeah. yeah. Filthy Jim or Persimmon Phil? No, I get Phil- confused. Filthy Jim got wiped out before because, I mean, he was just a net. We had to go Old Testament on him. And I'm about to go Old Testament on Persimmon Phil. But now we got three other roosters, and I'm working on some names for them. I'm thinking one's going to be Comfrey Bogart. I don't know what I'm going to name the rest of them, but... Um, I'm even thinking about maybe seeing just, seeing if Justin can use one because I'm telling you what, I love the temperament of those birds, man. They're friendly. Um, there's a couple of things that we don't yet know about them um, concerning their, um, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to forage the way I'd like them to, especially in the chicken tractor on steroid system. So that's something we're going to have to find out. But thus far, man, I really like those um those birds. And then finally, the other little project we got going. Well, I threw the Bielfelders some comfrey leaves earlier today when I was harvesting comfrey. They um they eventually got around to it. I don't think they recognized it as, as food at first, but they did eventually get around to it. Well, that's, that's good news. I mean, that's really good. But the real tale of the tape around here is we don't use small birds. Within this chicken tractor on steroid system that we have to pretty much have geared, you, you need at the very least... You've got to have dual purpose birds. I mean, and it works even better when you got meat birds. And I'm not talking Cornish crosses. I don't think they'll work in a system like that. Um, if they do, well, I'm not even going to put in the research to find out. It's just, it's part of the R&D that I really don't need to find out myself. So if anybody out there wants to be the intrepid person that gives it a shot, 
Uh, you knock yourself out. Now, I think Jeff Lawton came right out and said that they don't work in this system, right? I don't, I don't recall ever hearing him say it, but it wouldn't. I mean, just on the face of it, it would be a nightmare and it would be a filthy mess to even try to get them to work within this system. Um, maybe if somebody wants to do it, it's just not something I want to do. Plus, I need birds that I know can get on top of piles, you know. I just don't see how those birds are ever going to climb up on a pile like that. So we need we need birds that actually behave like birds, and those birds don't behave like birds to me. Nasty little patch that we have over here that we did a video a while back on where I was a little concerned about, you know, it was stupid fear. And it was really, really stupid when I get down to it. I had this real nasty patch that needed done. And, um, you know, I had the pigs out there. I was afraid about put, I was really afraid about, uh, putting them in there for a whole variety of reasons. Well, it turned out to be a really good thing and it's panning out extremely well. So with that said, you know, um, it's time to finish that up. And that's the problem when you do a lot of this work, y'all. And it frustrates me because I come from a, well, from a lot of backgrounds and we'll cover some of those, I think tonight. But one of them being that I am a journeyman electrician. I have been for years. And leaving a bunch of half-done projects just drives me nuts. But sometimes that is just the nature of farm work. All right, so that's that's some of the happenings we got out there. And look, folks, I'll cover, I'll hit relevant news that I think is worth hitting. Most of it you're probably hearing from other sources, so I'm not going to belabor those things. You know, we're not in the business of rehashing the news, but if I do have something that just sticks out to me, I might go ahead and say something, but there's two things in particular. The first being, look, I'm, I know everybody's talked forever and a day about these Georgia Guidestones, these nasty Georgia Guidestones, but you know, do you find it a little bit interesting that the prostitute media, the pundits, and the profligate politicians out there, they're all talking about this thing, but they ain't got nothing to say about all those historical monuments that were taken down. I remember riding with Justin going through, um, oh, this little town that's um, in western North Carolina. We were heading out to pick something up from Dan for Danny from Deep South. And on the way, there's this plaque that was always there. It was a tribute to Robert E. Lee. Guess what? They yanked that thing right up off the monument. And took it down. And then Michelle and I were there. There was uh, there's like an obelisk in... Uh, in down, Asheville. In Asheville, yeah. That was... Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Do you remember the that? The Vance Monument. Right. Vance Monument. And uh, wherever, you, wherever you see an obelisk, you're always going to see a dome. But that's a whole nother story. Well, there's a Scottish Rite Temple just down the road, and there's a dome. Well, there's a dome. Whenever you see an obelisk, take a look around. If you have Google Maps, always look around. If you see an obelisk... Take a look and see if you see a dome anywhere near it, okay? There's there's history behind that, some esoteric history. But anyway, that was also, I mean, the guy was in the Civil War, took that down. Then there was also a statue right outside the courthouse of Robert E. Lee. Yanked all that down. Nobody's got anything to say about all this history that is literally being torn down. But you're going to talk about the Georgia Guidestones. I mean, this satanic monument down, down there that's, I mean, it's basically telling you exactly what the powers that shouldn't be intend. So, you know, that's the other thing. Okay, I'll reach into the other thing that's more farm-related, and that has to do with what's going on right now in a number of countries, particularly, let's talk about Sri Lanka. I mean, they don't even have fuel over there, y'all. They're pulling things around with horse carts. They're tearing up everything they can get their hands on. And can you blame them? Now, think about this. And Mike Adams, the health ranger, pointed this out. And, and I want to kind of spotlight this a little bit. So 
they basically told him, hey, no more nitrogen-based fertilizers or anything to do with nitrogen. Now that's a bad thing. Remember, remember a while back when they told you that CO2 was really bad. Remember that? CO2. Remember learning in like grade school that CO2 was really good for plants, but now all of a sudden it's a bad thing? You know, the sun, which we need, basically that grass that's out in the pasture that you got your cows running on, well, that grass is called a solar collector, you know, the way Jim Garrish talks about it, the way Stockman Grass Farmer, uh, Alan Nation used to talk about it, Joel Salatin, and a number of others, you know, they kind of need the sun. So maybe they've been blocking that out a little bit, or maybe they intend to. I'll leave that up for you. But this thing about nitrogen, I got to say, y'all, it's getting to the point of getting infuriating because when you stop to think about it, CO2 is now bad. Your plants need that. Okay. And now nitrogen. Why do you think we talk? I got a shirt that says nitrogen fixer on it for crying out loud. So now nitrogen is a bad thing, son. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference between using nitrogen-based fertilizer, which is what it should be, and then using like the highly alkaline like nitrogen salts and stuff like that. But even in the permaculture design manual, Bill Mollison draws out, there's the farm that uses traditional fertilizers, traditional methods. There's the farm in transition. And then there's the farm that has made the complete transition. But he made a point to show the farm in transition. It's not something you do overnight. Like you don't just outlaw nitrogen-based fertilizers, which is a very broad spectrum, and expect everybody to still grow food that same year. That was the exact same problem I had back when I was really, really heavy in the Ron Paul movement, is that a lot of people don't see that midway point. And especially some, this is why in a lot of ways I can't stand a lot of the permaculture the super green permaculture designers out there, the ones that, you know, the complete Nazis that go on and complain about how everybody else is doing anything, but they don't really have anything to show but kale for what they do. But now you're even hearing some of these people getting on board with, with some of this nonsense. Now nitrogen is a bad thing. Yeah, I get that. You know, a lot of... It's we, not nitrogen. It's what it's attached to. Right, but that's but they're making the case that it's nitrogen that's a bad thing. I mean, do you know what's in the atmosphere for crying out loud? That's why we put nitrogen fixtures out there, y'all. So this is the latest little scam, and this is why I'm covering it here, because just like I said, now CO2 is a bad thing, the sun's a bad thing, now nitrogen's a bad thing. So I guess they can't grow any legumes or anything like that. Yeah, how about that? Well, that's <laughs> is Sri Lanka look, taking a look at their forests. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. But see, son, that's the thing about it, is that at this point, I'm not a, a man. I hate the use of the word conspiracy theorist. We can say just conspiracy, but the fact of it is everything you need to make food and animals grow, it's now beyond the point of being suspicious. This is a downright conspiracy. There ain't no two ways about it. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, and then what's there's a thing going on in Holland as well. Yeah, same exact thing. They're doing the same exact thing. I mean, I, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 countries right now are protesting because all of a sudden nitrogen is a bad thing. Or, I mean, does it seem coincidental that some of the major nitrogen pr producers are now being scrubbed from the marketplace right now, you know, coming out of Russia, Ukraine, all this stuff. And at this point, I'm still struggling to try and get my, get this point across to the people out there that ought to know better. On the good side or on the positive note, they made uh, petroleum based fuels green. That's right. When we come back, y'all, we're going to get into the education. The purpose of life is a life with a purpose. So I'd rather die for a cause than live a life that is worthless. I don't need the circus or the day of national observance. I need you to think for you and stop being a servant.
That's what I'm talking about, y'all. Some immortal technique. All right, we're going to get better at this as we we're going to be playing around with a number of things as we do these next podcasts. But the most important thing is that the information's on point. That much I know, I know. So we're going to have some funky music. We're going to have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, mostly thought-provoking kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, we're going to keep playing with it, and we'll get a format that, what I, that I think we like. So, okay, one of the big things here, I want to get into the way we're going to format this is we're going to have a main topic, and that's what we're going to cover right now, and that's mostly education. And then we're going to lean into some Q&A because there's some really good questions that a lot of people have submitted. And now I think that's what a, a good piece of this podcast ought to be about about because believe it or not, when anybody sends me a question, there's at least 10 others, even though you may not know it because you submitted that email, you would be shocked at how many other people are asking the same exact question. But right out of the gates, we're going to cover, I think the topic that I think uh, we should cover. I, I just got an email a little while ago from a wonderful lady named Jan. I don't know that she would want me to give her last name, but anyway, her name is Jan and she submitted some fantastic show ideas and I'm actually going to cover one of those tonight in the Q&A thing, but I'm actually going to halfway cover, um, I'll, I'll kind of skirt around the edges of something else that she brought up. But right out of the gates, y'all, we're going to talk about education. I know that may seem like a boring thing. You know, this is a permaculture pimp cast, right? And you're thinking, okay, we're talking about different projects, but no, we have got to start with the basics. That's why in this podcast, in these series of beginning podcasts, Anybody coming into this, I want them to be able to get a foundation of the things they ought to be looking at, of the things that they should find important. And I'm telling you what, at the base of all of this has to be education. Now, for me, you know, okay, so in a nutshell, I kind of covered it before. I went to high school, you know, got an army education, got a two college degrees, got a permaculture education or farm education and uh, a trade education. I'm also a journeyman electrician, as I said before, but... With the benefit of hindsight, would I have done it differently? You know what? I don't know that I would have when I stopped to think about it because all of those things, it was like Darren at Hacks for the Homesteader once said to me, it's like for the first, when he got into this lifestyle, I remember him telling me years ago that all the skills that seemed random throughout his life, all of a sudden were brought to bear in this lifestyle. So all these different modalities of education that he acquired, whether it be carpentry, whether it be, in his case, being an auto mechanic. I mean, you name it. The guy pretty much has it under his belt. He's a lifelong tinkerer. And so at the time he said it, it struck a chord with me. But I didn't know that, you know, my experience as a broadcaster, I didn't think that would ever amount to anything. I didn't think I could do anything with that. And by the way, I didn't go to school for that. Um... I didn't realize that, you know, is there a place, you know, I'm a journeyman electrician. Is there a place for that in the farming world? Yeah, there is. And there always was from the very beginning. You know, what about the army stuff? Well, if you've watched it, any of the videos we do, yes, numerous times, I mean, numerous times, whether it be the knots, um, you know, the rigging, all these different schools I went into in the army, whether it was airborne, whether it was sapper school, whether it was you know, jungle school, Arctic school, all those things I've been able to bring to bear. And these are, these are modalities of education that I didn't really, as you're going through them, you don't really realize later on in your life how they're going to be of any benefit. Are you recommending people go into the military now? Absolutely not. No, and I wouldn't, honestly. With the benefit of hindsight, uh, there was so much I got out of it. And back then, I was too dumb to know that I was really just a... Um, 
Well, like Henry Kissinger once said, uh, military men are big, stupid animals that should be used as tools for foreign policy. Yeah, he said that, y'all. And it was recorded by Bob Woodward. And, you know, you're going to probably realize over the life of this podcast, what? How, why does this guy just remember stuff like that? Well, that, that's just how my brain is. I can, I can tell you, I can't tell you specifically what happened yesterday, but I can tell you when Bruce Lee was born and when he died. I mean, stupid, idiotic things like that. But the point being... When it comes to this education stuff, look, we took, Michelle and I took a different tact when it came to our son. Um, you know, he that's had me. Yeah, that's, that's him. That's my son, William. Um, we had a different tact there when we realized, okay, he had a full academic scholarship to college. He got into it and you know, I'll let him explain as to how that went down. But anyway, it lasted half a semester. Right. I mean, they had me. They wanted me to take a class. I was like half a semester in. They had me. They made a class mandatory that it was the class was basically here's how you use the school. But I'm half a semester in. What kind of sense does that even make? Yeah. So that's exactly you, you realized right off the bat that it's just a money making scheme in so many different ways. And then we got to thinking, and we're all on this journey together because it's not like any of us we're given this download, but we are lifelong autodidacts and I taught him to be one as well. And, um, so guess what? Instead of sending him off to college, how about maybe, and folks, maybe this might apply to you instead of sending your kids off to college to come back somebody else. Maybe it's a better idea to send them off to trade school because I've got to say, you know, being a journeyman electrician, especially the kind that I did where it was mostly industrial work for the IBEW, um, I made a lot of money over the years. Now, the downside of that is I missed a lot of my family, too, and I can't get any of that back. So, um, you know, maybe college isn't the best thing. You know, I'm out here. Do you have any idea how many people I've met in the trades as of late? Um, this is like years ago when I finally retired. But, you know, if I had a nickel for all the guys that were like second and third year apprentices, one guy was a fifth year apprentice, uh, had a master's degree, couldn't get a job. The other guys, I can't even tell you how many other guys that I saw in the trades, and girls too, um, went to college, piled up a mountain of debt, got a degree in worthlessness, and then they're out here looking, okay, well, yeah, guidance counselors, they sure lied to me. Everybody lied to me. So instead of doing this, they had to go this backdoor route. Now they're mountains in debt. Uh, one guy, his name, his last name was Stone Cipher. I mean, dude, you got a name like that, you probably get a black eye, you know. Well, those guidance counselors and they should really outsource guidance counselors for for schools yeah to, like robert kiyosaki or somebody like that right i mean the I, i'm not talking down to anybody that has a guidance counselor job but they're coming from a very limited background like you should have a guidance counselor that has that is at or above the level of success that you want to achieve. Well, yeah, that would be called a mentor, you know, in the real world. So these people are just, it's like George Carlin said, they're trying to keep you within this box that you never truly ever escape. And so for me, you know, coming from uh, the background I came from, you know, um, it wasn't the best place in the world. It wasn't the best upbringing in the world. But I did have the benefit of a great many... Man, I, 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 maybe I'll cover that in later episodes because it wasn't, it wasn't the best home life in the world, but at least I figured out what I didn't want to do for the rest of my life. So when I discovered farming, I was like, okay, where's this been my whole life? And thanks to the you know, great Joel Salatin, 
I realized that, hey, you can do this? I mean, this is an option? I remember seeing him. Michelle was already on board long before I got on board. And uh, the moment I heard this guy, I'm like, okay, well, man, he's sure liberty-minded. Okay, I'm on board right there. And then I also realized, good night, man. This guy's saying things that I can definitely relate to. So long story short, that was a that was the transition in my mind where I'm like, okay, well, the path I'm on is not where I want to be. So in order to get past it, um, gee, how am I going to do this? In order to get past it, what am I going to do? So then it all began right there. I'm like, okay, so now I need to figure out how to be a farmer. So, okay, reading the books was a really good start. And then, you know, becoming a butcher, I'm like, okay, that seems like I'm a little ahead of myself, but I'll go ahead and do that. Became a butcher. And that's a process in and of itself. And by the way, folks, if you're looking to do something like that, I've kind of, I basically mentioned it before in the past. If you want to be a butcher or anything like that, if you want to gain this skill, do what I did. Go there and offer to work for free. And that's exactly how I got that part of education. Now, there's those other parts of education. Instead of going off to a, you know, thinking you got to go off to college, maybe apprenticeship. I think apprenticeship is the best modality when it comes to learning anything. And farm education is really no different. So, you know, we'd send Michelle off to grazing school with Greg Judy. William goes off with Joel Salatin. Then he goes off to Australia. And then, you know, for myself, you know, there's never-ending experimentation, finding out what I can on the Internet as best I can, and then trying to replicate it myself, like chicken tractor on steroids, like we mentioned in that last video. That took a long time for me to figure out in the way we had to do it. But it was still education. It was all these different ways and all these different pieces and parts we brought together. But when it came, and I'm going to have you talk about this somewhere, when it came to the education of our son, um, I was very, how do I say this? I never wanted him because everybody I knew was a slave to the grind. They had to go to work. They had to do this. They were doing jobs they hated. They hated it miserably. And then they'd go into mountains of debt to constantly live on vacation or something like that. And I never wanted that for him. So I encouraged you, instead of saying, hey, go after, you know, telling you what my dad told me as far as a career where you go pursue money, I told you do something that's going to make you happy. Yeah, find something that I was interested in and pursue that. And I've had a bunch of different jobs. Um, I mean, Tony, we I did an interview with Tony from the confessionals the other day, and he mentioned that on the interview. He's like, how many jobs have you had? Well, I've, I've bounced around quite a few times. I've experimented with a bunch of different careers. Well, and there's a good thing for that. But instead of going off to college and, you know, you had a scholarship, it was academic, and it paid for everything. But was it in the wheelhouse of something you wanted to do, sitting in a classroom? If I would have if I would have gone to college, if I would have taken that scholarship, I wouldn't have learned how to uh like do residential electrical work. I wouldn't have learned how to do that. Wouldn't have uh, moved down to Texas eventually. There were a bunch of things that we wouldn't have done had I done that uh scholarship. Right. And then when you get down to that, it's um it's the same thing with me too, you know, where I'm in a job and it, it was a good job. And then to sit here and say, you know what, me and your mom both, we're going to walk away from this. She had a great job. I had a great job. I uh, was making a lot of money. You know, easy job, nothing difficult, nothing hard about it. But to do this lifestyle, and this is years back. I mean, she had already been doing it for a while, and I was getting on board at the time. And then finally just said, you know what, I don't care if we got to live in a pup tent. And, you know, having that Army education was a big help. 
Because, I mean, I was the kind of soldier in the Army where you didn't... you Look, we didn't sleep in tents, y'all. You slept under a poncho liner. You got rained on. It was all that kind of thing. So living in a Spartan sort of lifestyle was no big thing for me. And it wasn't for Michelle either. So it was like, okay, well, if we got to go live in a yurt or a pup tent, I don't care. Um, we're going to wipe out all this debt. And we didn't really have that much to begin with anyway. But we're going to go ahead and wipe out the, whatever debt we have. And we are going to... Find a way to live this dream. And, that's ex and it all started with education. That's exactly the point. So you go out there, YouTube, folks, I'm not, I'm not dogging it because YouTube is a wonderful thing. It's like um, what George Washington said about government. It's either a dangerous servant or a fearful master. You can take these things from YouTube and they're wonderful. It's a wonderful university. It, it really is. I think it's better than any college I ever went to um, because you can sit there and see somebody do it right or you can see them do it wrong. And then you go out and experiment, use your own common sense. But then it opens up all these wonderful platforms in your mind that you didn't even know you had. You're, you're seeing options you didn't know you had because maybe you saw somebody do it on YouTube. And that is a fantastic thing. Is that not another form of education? Um, I'm a big believer in being an autodidact or basically self-taught. You go out there, educate yourself. Use, um, you know, that was another thing we taught William also was classic grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And um, it's basically, I could cover that as probably another episode altogether. In fact, I'd love to have on an expert to, to discuss that very thing. But there's ways to teach your brain how to know. It's like a built-in BS detector. And everybody in America was taught it up until about 150 years ago. But that's another story for another time. Point being is the education that you get don't think that you got to go out there and get a ag degree from some farm. If you're going to wind up doing permaculture farming, an ag degree really doesn't amount to a hill of beans when you get down to it. You're really just going to get the degree to relearn everything the correct way. That's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to find out when you get into that, you're going to be like, you're going to learn all this different stuff. And then when you get out there in the real world, um, wow, you're going to find out, hold on, Joel Salatin doesn't raise his cows that way. Hold on. You mean Mark Shepard doesn't do his pigs that way? You're going to relearn all of that again. And like I said in the previous episode, it's why women outshoot men in the Army. It's because they haven't learned any bad habits. So you may have to undo those bad habits. So what do you have to say about your journey of education? I mean, what's been beneficial and what hasn't? With me, learning, I don't learn best whenever I'm just sitting in a classroom watching the teacher talk about something and drawing up on a whiteboard. For me, the... The best way for me to learn is to actually get out there, look at what we're doing, put my hands on it, that type of thing. Yeah, I would say when it comes to the farming thing, I mean, there's so many people out there, you know, giving you theoretical stuff, doing this. And that's one again, once again, one of the many things I don't like about a lot of the people in the permaculture space is that they have all these pie in the sky ideas about how they ought to do something. And Joel Salatin and a number of others have been critical about that. Um they have all these wonderful things that they learned in class, but do they apply to that particular situation? And because you have no, um, any sort of experience at a long-term in any sort of long-term basis that you don't really know what it is you don't know. Which is why you shouldn't start teaching as soon as you get out of a permaculture design course, you need to go out there and experience it and do it yourself before you start teaching. Well, as far as that education, I, son, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, don't, don't put down using books 
Because at the end of the day, there is a lot that cannot be conveyed any other way. Um, there are people that um, they've actually written to me and said, look, hey, man, you know, thanks for the reading list, but I'm not much of a reader. Well, you're going to have problems. I mean, you really are. When it comes down to it, if you really want to get a full PhD understanding about how somebody's doing anything, it's kind of hard to get it all. Unless the only other way besides reading it is to go out there and work with them. If you don't have the benefit of being able to do that, you're going to be in a bind. Now, when you, okay, people kind of scoff about the cost of some of these classes. Now, do you think, I'm going to ask you this, son, I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit you flat-footed here. Do you think the cost that you incurred to go to Australia to learn under Jeff Lawton was worth it? Oh, absolutely. Um, and even these costs for a lot of these classes, um, very rarely do I see a class that's that's priced ridiculously, but a lot of these costs, I mean, you're purchasing someone's experience. You have to put a value on that experience. That's years of experience that you're purchasing really at a discount. And when you do the math, when you sit here and do the math on what it costs to go, let's say, go to a university and I don't know, three credit hours. When you look at what that costs you over the semester, it's probably, I don't know what it is these days, but when you consider, let's say it's like Greg Judy's grazing school. Okay, people look at that and think, oh man, $800, that is a lot of money. Well, is it? It's going to pay dividends if you go there. You're, but they don't think twice. You'll go out and take a loan to get your kid indoctrinated at a school where they're not going to learn anything. But you can take 800 bucks and go to a course like that. That's pretty hard to beat. Or well, even Joel Salatin's place, he has an open farm policy that's like 24-7, 365. So yeah. that's a good way to learn by itself. Right. Well, boy, he's brave doing that, especially these days. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, hey, for anybody wondering, no, that doesn't apply here at Permapastures Farm. No, it doesn't. No, please don't come rolling up in here uninvited. Thank you very much. We've already had that, and it didn't go out too well. But, um. Yeah, so when you look at the cost of some of these courses, um, now, son, I would disagree. There have been a few of them, especially in the butchering realm. There's also been some of these homestead gatherings I thought were um, over well, the top. The, I'm talking about, like, specific courses, not festivals and stuff right. like that. Yeah. Now, like, if you read Greg Judy's books where he strongly suggests that you never pay for any sort of farm education that doesn't include a pasture walk, a pasture walk. And I have to agree with that. I really do. Unless it's like some demonstration of how to butcher a chicken or a pig or something like that. I mean, it's best if you can do it out here on site. but Or like we did the last time at uh, SOE where we went out there, the pig was live. We gut skinned it. Now, that's not the ideal way to do it, but it's a realistic way of doing it. The ideal way would be to dispatch the animal, obviously, gut skin right there in the spot. And then if you... The, in the be, in a perfect world, you would love to cool that meat off and tighten it up a little bit before you start working on it. But on a homestead level, do you have the benefit of that? A lot of people don't. They don't have a walk-in cooler where they can just go hang that meat. So you better know how to do it when it's warm. So there's a lot of these education. There's a lot of this this education that you're going to have to spend money. Now, in the past, when we've done classes, we didn't charge. I mean, there's a lot of times we didn't charge anything. Yeah, we've done a lot of processing classes where we haven't charged anything. No, and we're going to have to in the future because, I mean, the truth is when you when you don't charge something for a, a highly coveted uh, skill, 
then people think it's worthless. When you don't charge, they ask you to come back and show them again. Exactly. Well, that's for, for the, for free. Wow. That's a really good point, son. So yeah, I mean, you gotta, and plus a workman is worth his hire. I have no problem on that score. I mean, I will pay good money to get good instruction. I, I, that's one thing we don't skimp on here, y'all. In fact, there's a uh, course. I'm not going to mention what it is right now, but we're all, as a family, probably going to take this course. And um, it's just another feather in the cap in so many different ways. So when it comes to spending money on that course, just ask yourself. Go out there and find out what one semester of a three-hour class of, let's say, humanities. You know, an education that you could easily get online Go find out what that costs and then look at that farm course that you're thinking about and you're thinking, do I have the money for that? You know, and you might be looking at it a little bit different. You know, there's um, also some of these skills courses. Now, look, I've been kind of privately critical about some of these other places where I think there are a number of people that realize that everybody's a little bit desperate right now. And there's a lot of people that are suburbanites. And so they're charging what I think, because I know what the goal, the going rate is for a lot of these, or what should be for a lot of these courses. And I'm seeing a bit of gouging going on out there. And it, it honestly makes me sick in this, uh, in this homestead world. Now I don't have any problem. You charge whatever you think you can get, but don't come out here saying, well, you know, we're making this as low as it can be. When I know that, I know the input cost for what you're doing for something like that. And it doesn't justify what you're charging and you, and your charge. And here's the suspicious part is that from last year till now it went up 150%. Come on now. Yeah. Unless they seriously didn't make any money last year, but I I highly doubt that. Yeah. I find that highly unusual, but when some of these prices are getting as high as they look, you knock out, you go do what you do what you got to do, but I think people are going to ultimately take notice, especially when I'm charging a fair price, just like we do with all the things we sell, whether it's comfrey, whether it's bone sauce or anything else. I'm not charging any prices that are through through the roof. It's very competitive. In fact, lower than any other competitor. Well, speaking of classes, we actually you can actually work on your education at the end of July. We have a swale workshop class. You're going to learn how, like when to use a swale, the purpose of it, how to dig it, all that stuff. It's at the end of July, and the link will be in the show notes. Yeah, see, well, just, hey, for anybody thinking it out there, look, we didn't do this program, um, you know, to advertise what it is. In fact, we're not even, I mean, this is, nobody's making any money on this, in case you were wondering. Um, we're basically doing it because John at SOE is basically, um, look, y'all, I couldn't be more excited to do something pro bono in my life. Number one, he's my friend. And number two, how many people say, look, here is an open template. I want to turn this into a permaculture paradise demonstration site right here. I mean, how do you not, as an educator, how do you not get excited about somebody that has a commercial property um, and also a place where he lives that is willing to transform the entire place? And it's not a hospitable property. I mean, he's living on top of a gravel pit. They were mining gravel out of his property at one point. Right, right. So, folks, don't dismiss. Look, you don't need to take this from us. You could go out there. The biggest problem in permaculture is people want to see a swale and don't know what it looks like. So that's exactly what we're doing. We're going to show you how to do it if you want to come out and get into that course. So, like I said, it's not a tough sell or anything like that. We're not making any money out of the deal. It's just being able to train so many people out there to know how to do what it is we do 
and to make that many more empowered people. That's why we've done butchery classes in the past for absolutely free because I'm hoping, look, it even goes down to what we sell. When you buy comfrey from us, you should never have to buy it again. If you buy bone sauce, you may have to buy it again in the future if you expand, but by and large, we sell things that are essentially, we have a couple of items like comfrey cream and stuff like that, but by and large, we sell things that you never have to buy again. That's the cool thing about getting this kind of education um, is because once you have it, once you have it, nobody can really ever take it away from you. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say there's a whole lot of people out there that you're wanting to do permaculture, but you don't want to go get a permaculture education. What's really cool about this type of education is that once you've acquired it, you can now be picked up and dropped off anywhere in the world and make it work because you have these principles, you have these, uh, these basics under your belt. Yeah, that's the beauty about a permaculture education. But so many people email and they're wondering about this particular, like, how do I do swales? Well, swales are just everything. There's nothing. We've got to get out of this reductionistic world thinking, which is taught to us by the education system. We've got to get in more to a holistic system. So instead of thinking just swales or anything like that in isolation or, you know, grazing in isolation, you got to think about this stuff in terms of a whole it's going to make your life easier and it all comes down to the education so there's a list of books out there i've done it i've exposed what that list is on patreon i think i even discussed it to a certain extent on youtube those books i recommend them for a reason if you're looking to just get into just straight up permaculture gardening guys garden is hard to beat yeah it really is if you especially if you pair guys gardening with the permaculture design manual and use that as a reference manual and actually read guys garden you're going to get pretty far yeah, you're going to do some wonderful, wonderful things. Well, look, y'all, that's it for this segment right here. We're going to move into the Q&A section. You're going to want to hear some of that, y'all. So back in a second. All right, Bonamassa, that's what I'm talking about. So we got a lot of questions here, and we're going to run through some of them, and we're going to spend a little more time on others. So the first one out of the gates is, um, what do you think about Bitcoin? Uh, would you buy Bitcoin? All right, I'm going to start off with that one right off the bat, y'all. Um, there's a lot of friends of mine that are all about Bitcoin, um, and that's fine and dandy. I even own a little bit. I owe, owe some uh, some of the other coins as well. Not much to speak of, but here's where I stand on that sort of thing. I don't invest in anything I don't really understand, or I certainly don't bet the whole cards on anything. Um, I don't bet everything on anything, really, when you get down to brass tacks, and I don't fully understand it. I think you should buy Bitcoin, that coin you can bite down on like that dude from Rudolph. <laughs> you mean like gold and silver? <laughs> like gold and silver. Yeah, yeah, I have no problem with any of that Bitcoin. So. I can explain the value of gold and silver to you. I can't explain the value of Bitcoin. I mean, I'm not dogging it. I understand that, you know, there are certain things about it that make sense to me, but there's a lot of it that doesn't make sense to me. And I'll be honest with you, man. One of the biggest turns off turn offs for me for Bitcoin was when I was going through and I was watching some YouTube videos and there's this commercial that comes on, you know, in between the videos or at the front of it. And this guy gets on there. Yo, man, I'm retired, homie. And then, yeah, yeah, man, I got me some of that Bitcoin. Yeah. And he's going, I'm like, hold on, say what? Hold on, man. This is that your must best have been a sale- Bitcoin competitor. Yeah, this is your best salesman. 
I mean, this is what you got. This guy's got gold teeth. And I'm like, oh, no, man. So right then and there, I mean, whether fairly or otherwise, I had no interest in even thinking about Bitcoin when I'm like, this is the best guy you got out there. And then when I start hearing, you know, like every hipster out there right now is going on about how they're a stoic. Everybody's a stoic these days, son. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius would be rolling in his grave if he knew these these yeah. <laughs> these hipsters were following his meditations. Yeah, but that's not, and the fact is they're missing it mostly. But the point I'm getting at is that these same hipsters, just like they're all stoics, they're all Bitcoin billionaires, you know? And like I said, there's smart people out there messing with this stuff. I just don't understand it. I'm going to stick to the things I do understand. And then also going back to my biblical education, there's another modality of education. You know, I was, in fact, this very day when I was out there going through this pig food and sorting it out, um, I was sitting there listening to the story of Joseph on the audio Bible with my earbuds. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, Joseph put back food. And guess what, man? They came to him with their hats in their hands and, you know, he hooked them up. And then later on, I mean, when they ran out of everything else, they sold themselves into slavery, which kind of leads me to wonder, man, they must have they must have been free people at one time, but they all sold themselves to Pharaoh. And why? Because of food. Also, you know, I believe there's another story in there where a guy sold a birthright for a bowl of soup. So, <laughs> I mean, the things that are of value in this world, you know, they may be clacks and dish. They may be valuable to somebody out there. I don't understand. And I'm sure I got friends out there that would be happy to explain it to me. Also, permaculture tries to focus on uh, systems that don't rely on outside resources. Bitcoin is 100% an outside outside resource. It's an, it's based on outside energy. If somebody else shuts off the power, well, nobody has Bitcoin anymore. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you know, I can hold on to whatever gold and silver and the apples and the peaches and pears and the other tangible goods that I have that I'm looking at right out this window right now. Right. So next question. When you started your strawberry ground cover, did you just broadcast some seeds or did you plant several types of plants and let them spread on their own? Well, we put in, yeah, Michelle put in a bunch of... I think uh, she put in like a couple hundred uh, slips, like uh, strawberry slips. Yeah, she put those in and that kind of goes into uh, the next question, which is what's the best way to incorporate the comfrey and the flowers and strawberries so they don't compete with one another? Well, that is an excellent question and also the beauty of permaculture. The cool thing about it is is that the comfrey, it's like the strawberries grow around the comfrey and the comfrey comes up through it, just like everything else, like the the rosemary pops up through there. Right. Try so, try to incorporate different uh, levels of the forest. Like blueberries aren't in competition with strawberries because they're at different levels. Exactly. And that's what I, well, I wrote back a response to them, but th- this is something I thought deserved also something that, um, you know, that other people wanted to know about. But yeah. They're, they're operating, remember, there are seven layers of a forest, and these guys operate at a different level. Even though our blueberries are surrounded in a sea of strawberries, they're competing at different la- layers. And in fact, I mean, you talk to most people, they shouldn't even coexist in the same area, but they're thriving because of the environment. So we're finding out also that these acid-loving blueberries, uh, just like Paul Gauchi had taught, actually do thrive if given the right environment in places where they shouldn't. Yeah, they do. And also the strawberries, I mean, they definitely benefit the blueberries. It's not like a competition with each other at all, really. That's right. And that's with everything else out there. So the nitrogen-fixing shrubs that we have out there, some of that sea buckthorn and some of the others, they all compete at different layers. If you just kind of, even if you just threw it all out there, trust me, they're going to sort it out themselves. 
Now, next question. Uh, well, let's see here. What other things do you believe would be good to add to this area? Well, we just kind of covered that again. And if you want a good resource, um, a lot of permaculture designers poo-poo guys garden. I never understood why. I mean, I understand there's a lot left out there, but there's also a lot that's really good in there, like, you know, really good diagrams for your guilds. Yeah, there, there's the there's a really good plant list in the back that gives you a list of plants, their growing zones, their functions, all types of stuff. Right, it's a really great chart, and I keep going back to that for the people that are just starting out of the gates. But yeah, you want to have like the fingers of your hand. You know, your hand works pretty well when you got all your fingers there, right? Well, it's the same thing with a food forest or orchard or any other setting. Even like Jeff Lawton is taught with even in the garden setting, your your main crop or your kitchen garden, whatever the case may be, a lot of these nothing grows in isolation and it shouldn't because you don't see it in nature growing in isolation. So, with that said, let's get on to our next question. Um, and this one I'm going to spend a little more time on. And it comes from Jan and it came actually she had a series of wonderful questions that I have every intention. It's funny because I had some of these show ideas already written down and I'm thinking, man, does she have a bug in this house? Because there's some of this stuff that I was, I already have them in my notes that we were going to discuss, but she added some others in there too. But uh, one of the ones right out of the bat and one of the ones I wanted to cover in great detail, in greater detail, and I've kind of covered it in the past was um, she had described how her son is basically going to be buying land. And he's like, Hey, where are the opportunities? Can I buy land? Is it affordable? And I've done a video in the past about how we don't buy anything and I don't pay full price for anything. And when I was trying to buy land. Well, when it comes to land. When it comes to land. When it <laughs> yeah. comes to education, yeah, I'll, I'll spend whatever. And in fact, hey, that's not entirely true because I'm wheeling and dealing right now concerning this uh, very costly education. And uh, so, yeah, everything is negotiable. So when it comes to land, here's the approach that we've done before, and this worked successfully in the past several times, is... Basically, you can start off. There's a number of ways of going about this. We've done tax liens before, and they work. Um, it's a little risky in some areas in terms of what you might wind up getting. Um, went in there. No, there were no books on the subject when I first started doing it years ago. And I went to the county assessor's office. I remember we were living in Oklahoma, so I went to Oklahoma County, went to the county assessor's office, looked in their books, and they weren't very helpful at first. I mean, government employees, what do you expect? So when I came back with a dozen donuts, they were singing a different tune that time. So now these ladies were walking me through this. So every time I'd come through, um, it was a, that was a little tactic. I can't remember where I learned it from. Every time I'd go in there, you know, probably I'd, the zookeepers. Yeah, oh no, man. These weren't, these weren't, these were nice people, son. No, they weren't those kinds of government employees. I mean, and I was once a government employee, so take it back. So yeah, okay, take it back. Anyway. Um, yeah, you go in there and you find out, you learn their names, you be pleasant, all those, you know, things. So anyway, they taught me the they taught me the system. And um, you know, from there we got some tax liens. If nothing else, we made 25% on our money, but that's that's one thing. So tax liens or tax deed, it depends on what state you're in, whether it's a tax lien or a tax de tax deed state. So you want to know the difference, you want to find out what those are and figure that out. Um, bigger way to do it, the easier way to do it. Check this out. Go to Craigslist. Find some old boy. I don't know how much acreage you're looking for, but find some old body, some some old boy out there that has, let's say, five acres he's trying to get rid of. Go out there and take a look at it if you can, without them. And then if you go out there and you see that land butting up against a higher uh, uh, portion of acreage, 
let's say it's up against, let's say a hundred acres, then it's probably some guy. And this is every time what's happened. It's always been some guy who got himself into a car payment, into a truck payment. Oh, you mean like it was, it was sectioned off of a previously uh, like the pre the bigger property. Right. Okay. So this guy got himself in a bind and then when you go meet them out there, you mark my words, they're going to pull up in a truck that's probably $80,000. And they probably inherited this land from granddad or daddy or whatever the case may be. And they don't have a whole lot of respect for it. So now they got they need somebody to make that truck payment. And they're thinking, okay, I'll sell off this five acres for, let's say, $30,000. Well, remember, they have a payment. They don't have to pay it off. They'd love to, but that's not what you're going to do. So what you do, go in there and say, look, Jack, Here's how it's going to go down. I'm going to give you 500 bucks down and I'm going to give you 500 bucks a month and I'm not going to pay any interest. And that's how we want to go down. Now, what's the benefit of you doing it that way? Well, first of all, most banks are not going to loan you money. Certainly not anywhere close to the full value of that, of bare land. They're just not going to do it. If you're lucky, they may give you 50%. So that means you got to come up with the other 50. So they, that, person who's selling that land is no doubt had a number of people that can't mess with it because most people don't have the money outright, which is mostly what you're going to have to need. So they're already a desperate seller, right? So you roll in there and all you need to do is meet their payment or at least knock a chunk of it off. That's exactly how I've, how I've done it. I mean, you can go to Craigslist and when you see that, there's also other websites out there like and it's not the best land in the world, but look, we're permaculture designers. So we specialize in that sort of thing. So we go out there. There's billyland.com, I think was one. Uh, it was actually called billyland.com. Now you're going to find some weird parcels, but you're going to get them for next to nothing. And now you want to look into them and make sure they weren't a super fun site and find out, you know, whether or not uh, these things where they were dop- obviously dumping toxic waste out there. You want to know about that. But if there were some farm, usually farming options or what was going on out there, they can't grow sod anymore, whatever the case may be. Well, those things can be recovered. But also there's the issue with the water. So a bunch of atrazine in there, is that something you want to deal with? So there's things you want to look at. But the number one easiest way of finding land, believe it or not, is not going to be through a realtor. It's looking at it off the books. That's really the best way to go about it is looking at it off the books through something like Craigslist or a for sale by owner. You got to get that third party out of there. So if you can get there and, and then, okay, so let's say they agree to your deal. And like I said, every time I've done it, they agreed. Um, now what do you do? Well, you go have a real estate attorney draw it up. And the way you structure that, and this is important, this is very important. If you don't take anything else out of this, when you have your real estate attorney draw it up, make sure they write the contract that says, look, If I miss, and this is one of the big selling points, because when you told them, hey, if I don't buy this thing, if I don't come up with your money, not only do you take the land back, you keep all the payments that I made with it. But here's the caveat. Have your real estate attorney putting there that you have to miss three consecutive payments. Um, You're doing that to protect yourself. So let's say you miss January, February, and April. Well, if you have a, let's say that, landowner saying, okay, yeah, I get this property back. Well, no, you don't, Jack. Um, I was out with whatever, you know, sweet and sour sniffles for a while. And uh, no, you're not going to take this back because it's got to be three consecutive months. So you're protecting yourself by doing stuff like that. So think outside the box in terms of your own protection. 
Because there are some unscrupulous people out there thinking, okay, well, I'll just take this land now. I can get it back and sell it for even more because they did all these improvements on it. So that's exactly what you do. You get the real estate attorney, write it up, and then you can go uh, get an escrow set up where you make payments to, let's say, an escrow company, and there might be a $15 a month charge for them to handle the transaction. So instead of 500 bucks a month, you may pay $515 a month. That's what I paid, actually. And then it goes directly to the person selling it. Now, beauty of this is you're buying that land with no tax, no, not no taxes. You're never going to get out of that. Um, but you're buying it with no interest. And you're buying it even faster. You're paying off this land faster than you ever could, let's say, an $80,000 pickup truck that they're selling right now. So that is the beauty of being able. This is why I wanted to spend more time on this end of it. That is the easiest way to go about it. Go to Craigslist, make a deal like I'm talking about. They are out there, y'all. They are. I've done it numerous times. It's a way to get land on the cheap, and you can pay it off in no time at all. So you can literally go in there, do this, and then also you want to try to find a place where the codes are going to be less strict. So you don't want somebody telling you what you can and what you can't do and how to go about that. So there's other things to consider. But as far as land acquisition, it is possible. You can do all this, y'all. Look, we are not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We know how there are so many different... Look, think about it. You're listening to this podcast and you don't do anything like everybody else. You think about that? You don't do anything like anybody else. I don't do anything like anybody else. You're listening else. to the Permaculture Pimp Cast. Of course you don't do anything <laughs> like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's That's the beauty of permaculture. You're thinking outside the box. So think outside the box when it comes to all these things, like um, whether it's you know, you're, you're looking for a way to get storable food. Well, we've provided some options out there in our YouTube videos. We've done a lot of that as well. I mean, there are so many different options out there, but when it comes to buying land, everybody thinks that you have to go to a realtor and hope and pray that the bank loans you money. No, be your own bank. And there's other programs we're going to talk about in the future when it comes to all that. So look, y'all, if you need anything from us, go to the website, permapasturesfarm.com. You need the world's best deer repellent. You know who's got it. You need bone sauce. Obviously, that's the world's best deer repellent. You need comfrey. You need comfrey salve. We got all that good stuff kicking there right now. Look, y'all, this is our third podcast in and talking about that education. Think about this. Another modality of education I'm engaging in right now. I am not a podcaster. I've never podcasted in my life. So how do you get better at it? Repetition, just like you do on the farm. You get better at being a farmer by doing life as a farmer. You can do this, y'all. Don't believe any of those people out there that say this life is not attainable. It is. We're doing it. That's how we roll. All right, y'all. This is Billy and William from the Permaculture Pimp Cast. We'll see y'all next time. Bye.